Fight Show. I am your host. My name is Killian Yauk. Some people call me Gilligan. Others call me Gilbo. And that you know that's that's a story for another day because today I just want to get into the into the fights, talk about fights, and you know start getting comfortable behind this this microphone here. Now we're honestly kind of coming to a little bit of a lull here in uh, the combat sports, the especially the MMA world. Because there's no UFC this week. We do have Bellator 285 in Dublin on Friday. We've got Contender Series, of course, every week. But that's coming to an end next week, I believe. And I say there's a little bit of a lull just because we don't have the UFC this week. And then we do the the week after that. But then there's another week break. And then another fight night. And then we finally get to UFC 280. So, let's get right into recapping. Last weekend, Sandhagen versus Song Yidong. Corey Sandhagen versus Song Yidong. This card made me look like such a fool. I mean, I could not get anything right. I picked Sandhagen, but that is the only one I got right. Really, almost, pretty much. Sandhagen and Joe Pfeiffer. Let's go. (laughs) But, I mean, I had... Sabatini, which I don't feel bad about. A lot of people are really high on him. I'm still high on Pat Sabatini, but man, Damon Jackson did a great job. And also, what a horrible, horrible story. Can't help but feel but feel good about him getting that win. Uh, Zeluber did not win. I had him as well. Bill Elgio, I thought, was going to run over Andre Feely. I thought Elgio was going to be able to win that fight. And then I even... Even made a little a little bet on uh, Tanner Bozer after seeing him at the weigh-in because he looked svelte. Sorry. He looked so good at the weigh-in. I was like, okay, this is, I mean, this, I mean, I'm talking transformation. This dude looked so good. So, but that didn't work out either. Shout-out to Andre Feely. He, I mean, great win. Uh, Joe Pfeiffer. I did pick him, so that was that was good to be right. Not that that was a hard one to pick. Um, no hate to Armandovsky, but he is not the best fighter on the UFC roster. Might be near the other side of that coin. But Joe Pfeiffer did a great job of being Joe Pfeiffer. And, I mean, it just what an honor it must be for that guy to get to be Joe Pfeiffer every day. I mean, I can't even imagine. Uh, let's get on to the, I mean... The real story of this card was the cuts because good fuck Gregory Rodriguez getting it done with one of the worst cuts I've ever seen in my life just period it was insane he had a unibrow he he was sliced open from eyebrow to eyebrow right across his nose then he came out in the second round well he he took this crazy he took the crazy knee that split it wide open in the you know first 2 minutes of the fight then came back, almost finished him in the first. Got tagged again near the end of the first. Comes back in the second. And the cut never even really got split open again in the second. He just 
destroyed him. Pretty much not as soon as the second round started, but the cut never even like when the fight ended. I don't even know if Gregory Rodriguez was bleeding because the cut man did such a good job, and then he dominated the second round, got the finish. It was, I mean, incredible. Didn't look like it even affected him. Now Corey Sandhagen had a great comeback performance, breaking his two fight skid. That was very good to see. Um, and it was a competitive fight. Song had had a, a good amount of success. Two judges had it two two going into that fifth round. Um, obviously, it never the fifth round never started. But um, I think Sandhagen was just a little bit better and a little bit quicker in um, a lot of those stand up exchanges. And Sandhagen just kind of fought his fight. He he was shooting those takedowns, which he wasn't particularly successful in finishing but he did get him against the cage he had I mean that's uh, stopping a takedown is not nothing it still takes effort and you get it, it's gonna make you tired and it's a, it was a good strategy by Sandhagen he but he elbows and takedowns and that elbow just split songs eyebrow in two pieces and ugh, yeah by the end of the fourth round, I don't think there was any chance that for that they were going to let that fight keep going. I thought that they might stop it after the second, and then after the third, I was like, I think they'll probably stop this one. And then after the fourth, it was like they needed to stop this because <laughs> the unlike Gregory Rodriguez, where he got hit after 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 Rodriguez got hit with that knee and got split open, he got hit with more punches. But the I don't think that cut got any worse. the The cut on Song Yudong's eyebrow was definitely gonna get worse and the last thing you want is his eyelid to like split right open Ugh. but yeah I mean moving forward from here for Sandhagen he is put himself in a, in a good position because now he's just right there with the Cheeto Marab kind of crew and you know they might not be next they might not get a tight None of those guys are probably getting a title shot without another fight, but now you can do Sandhagen versus Cheeto, which I think is something nobody would mind seeing. That's an incredible fight. Or if for some reason they want to do Marab versus either of those guys, that's fine too. It's probably not going to be as fan-friendly a fight, but you can't get mad at it. The match, the matchmaking would make sense. And Marab really needs something to keep him busy until Aljo either loses or can move or tie like whatever Aljo's plan is whatever they have worked out between themselves I'm sure uh Marab or I'm sure Marab would like to buy a little bit of time and stay busy not just sit there and wait but man is the Bantamweight division fun I mean come on I mean in that top 10 there are no bad matchups not a single one every matchup is good I'd want to see all of them Let's see. Six through eight is interesting in Bantamweight because you have Rob Font, Dominic Cruz, and Pedro Munoz. All in the, all very rightfully in the top ten, but are any of them really going to be making a move toward the title again? I don't really think so. It doesn't seem likely. Um, they all got beat. Well, not Munoz. Well, yeah, Munoz, I guess. They've all gotten beat pretty 
decisively by people in that top five. And then you've got like Ricky Simone now at 10, who is very exciting. Ricky Simone could be one of those guys that we're talking about in that title picture in about in a year or so. He's going to need a couple more fights, but he could definitely be right there. Frankie Edgar's another guy who's going to be on his way out. You have Sean O'Malley, of course, at 12 now, who's going to be facing Jan on October 22nd. I think it's the 22nd. And then after that is where I think it really gets exciting because you've got Umar Nurmagomedov, who is the cousin of Habib. Very, very good. Then you have Adrian Yanez, fan favorite, dynamic striker, incredible boxing. I can't wait to see him fight again either. And then you have Jack Shore at 15, who was undefeated up until he lost to Ricky Simone. And, I mean, another just really, really exciting prospect. Bantamweight is fantastic. And now that all these fights are starting to happen, you know, they're all scheduled for a while. Now they're actually, we only have a couple left in this series of Bantamweight fights. Um, now we're going to start get to see how this like second round gets matched up. Like now who, who are Cheeto, Marab, and Sandhagen going to fight? And, you know, if, if Piotr Jan wins and Aljamain Sterling wins, how are they going to match all this up? Or if Sean O'Malley wins and Sterling wins, how are they going to match it all up? If TJ wins, I think it's, it's easy. The, if TJ wins, the winner of, of Jan and O'Malley is going to get the title shot. Doesn't really matter, I don't think. Um, but yeah, moving on. Ah, so this will get smoother as I go. I promise, people. I apologize. Now, Canelo versus Triple G three. First two fights, did not watch them live. Was not a huge boxing fan at the time, but I went back and watched both of them in the lead up to this, like throughout last week. Um, and man, were they great! They were great fights. Even even uh, the first fight, which obviously most people see as a pretty decisive victory for Triple G, um, which I, I agree. But it was still a really great fight, and there were competitive moments, and it was a really fun fight to watch. The second fight was a very, very, very fun fight to watch, and it was a really close fight. Um, I'm not the best at boxing scoring. I'm, but like, if I was gonna just, if I was just eyeballing that fight, I'd probably call it a draw. The second fight, it was a really, really good fight, and very fun to watch. This fight wasn't what the first two fights were. Um, and again, I'm not gonna claim to be any any sort of boxing expert or have anything to any insight like I would in MMA analysis, but. Obviously, Canelo appeared to control and just kind of coasted through the first, like, nine rounds. Like, they weren't really competitive. But it's not that Canelo was doing something insane. Triple G just wasn't really doing anything, and Canelo was just being himself. And then in, like, the 10th round, uh, Golovkin just woke up, and the last three rounds were really entertaining and really competitive. And it was like, well, you're clearly still good enough to compete at this level. What happened those first nine rounds? Because now it's too late. That's what it seemed to me, and from what I could gather from people who know more than I do on Twitter, that seemed to also be the sentiment, kind of. Um, so, yeah, I don't know what happened, um, but it looks like Triple G is still, like, he still can compete with uh, Canelo at that level. 
maybe not beat him. Maybe he doesn't have the that thing to to fight like that for twelve rounds. Um, but those last three rounds were super competitive. They looked. I mean, he looked really good. I think he probably won at least two of them. Um, and I think you know he landed a good shot in the ninth. That had uh, Canelo seeing some cobwebs. Um, that's not the right phrase, but who cares? Um, yeah. So it was a weird fight. I got very excited for it in the lead up. I was super hyped for it, and then it kind of fell flat. Um, final final scorecards were um, one fifteen, one thirteen, one fifteen, one thirteen, and one sixteen to one twelve, all for Canelo. That makes zero sense to me, in all honesty. How a judge scored, what, I think this would be five rounds for Triple G? Two judges scored five rounds for Triple G? Maybe I'm an idiot. And again, I don't want to claim that I know a bunch of stuff about this. But it seemed, I mean, 115 to 113 is a one-round difference. That is a, yeah, it's a one-round difference. Two-round difference? No, one round. Yeah, seven to five. Yeah. 116 to 112, I guess I could see how, I guess uh, if you're going to score the last three rounds for Triple G and give him one of the other ones throughout the fight, that's fair, I think. And I guess that's not crazy to go 7 to 5. 115 113 just looks like such a closer scorecard than I would have I would have guessed. But also boxing is so weird to me. Like, it's almost like a close fight has to be a split decision. Like if it's a unanimous decision, at uh, at any point, if it's an if it's at all a unanimous a unanimous decision, then you dominate it. Even if you're only even if you only win the fight by two points, where if it's close at all, it's going to be a split decision. So I don't know. It's weird. And in MMA, it's like if it's a split decision, you might you have no idea who's going to win. And I guess that's how it is in boxing. But like it still seems weird to me. They just have different. They're, there's it's they're, they're different. Ugh. I'm rambling like an idiot. Maybe if somebody's listening to this and can uh, confirm that I'm not crazy, and if this makes any sense at all, that'd be wonderful. Thank you. As I said before, there's no UFC this weekend. Um, yeah, the biggest MMA event is going to be Bellator 285 in Dublin, Ireland, this Friday. In that main event, you've got Benson Henderson taking on Peter Queeley. In a, I mean, in a relatively important fight in the Bellator lightweight division, Queeley most recently fought for the vacant lightweight title. Uh, he's ranked 7th, Benson Henderson ranked 3. So, you know, big fight. Um, they did recently book the um, a lightweight title fight versus uh, between, pardon me, Patriki Pitbull and Usman Nurmagomedov. Nurmagomedov is an absolute beast. Benson Henderson, ah, is he, I mean, is he? He's got to be at least forty now. He, that man is thirty-eight. Oh, that's yeah, not that. That's not that crazy. Same age as Tony Ferguson, I think. Regardless, um, it's a good fight. It's a good fight. Benson Henderson still, I think, trying to make a run towards the the Bellator lightweight title at the end of his career. Um, they have a pretty good lightweight division. Miles Jury is a good fighter. Peter Queeley is good. Uh, Brent Primus was their former champion. He had that weird fight against Michael Chandler back in the day. Um, Sidney Outlaw, uh, he kind of got shafted. He was supposed to fight uh, P- 
Patricky Pitbull for the title. Pitbull had to pull out, but Outlaw still wanted to fight. So he took a fight against Nurmagomedov, where he got blasted. Just steamrolled. And now he's ranked fourth and, you know, kind of out of the title picture. Not not totally out of the title picture, but, um, you know, didn't get his shot. So that sucks. We also have on this card, Yoel Romero versus Melvin Manhoof at light heavyweight. Which is, I mean, objectively, it, it's a fight you want to watch. Why wouldn't you want to watch that fight? Somebody's probably going to get blasted in the face. And I need to stop saying that. Somebody is probably going to get punched in the face very hard. And they'll probably fall down. Melvin Manhoof has, I don't know how he's, the last fight I know, the last fight I watched Melvin Manhoof in is when he got beat up by Corey Anderson. I mean, legend. Melvin Manhoof, absolute legend of the sport. He's been around for a, such a long time. Oh, his last fight was the Corey Anderson fight. Wow. Um, yeah, he, he's been on a, a bit of a sporadic run. Before the Corey Anderson fight, he won two in a row in Bellator. He's been in Bellator for a while. Oh, a very long time at this point. Since 2014? Jeez. Wow. Um, yeah, you know. There's some wins, there's some losses. Heel back in his career. And, I mean, he has wins over, he has a win over Mark Hunt. He's fought, he's fought Paul Ophelio, Robbie Lawler, Tim Kennedy. I mean, he has fought people at, I mean, he fought Robbie Lawler, former UFC welterweight champion. He's also fought Mark Hunt, one of, you know, the biggest heavyweights and the hardest hitting heavyweights ever. He's fought Joe Schilling. Rafael Carvalho, and here he is coming up against Yoel Romero. In what it, in what is a top ten fight in uh in the Bellator light heavyweight division, Yoel they have ranked at seventh, Manhoof at ninth. Um, and you know with the name value, it's pretty big. It's a pretty big fight for Yoel Romero. I don't know exactly what his uh, motivations are in the fight game at this point of his career, but. Because of the name value behind Romero, uh, he he could he could find himself up near a title shot pretty quickly. Of course, you've got the Vadim Nemkov versus Corey Anderson uh, rematch happening in November. That I am that is a fight I'm very excited for. I hope to be in the building for that one. Um, and yeah, I think I mean if Romero wins this fight, especially if he knocks him out or something, I would not be surprised if they make that fight next. Uh, Romero versus Anderson. Because it's a fight, it's a one of the biggest fights they could probably put on. That's a fight that I think a lot of people would get really interested in. Um, I mean, Corey Anderson, obviously his strength, his re- bread and butter is the wrestling. Yoel Romero, and this is <laughs> this is always the conversation around Romero because it's always like, you know, he was he was such a great wrestler, and he was. If you go back and watch his wrestling matches from the Olympics, he is incredible. And his wrestling, I mean, he was such a good wrestler. In MMA, he has barely used it. I'm not convinced that he would be able to out-wrestle Corey Anderson. But he does have great takedown defense. I'm not sure Romero's ever been taken down in the, in the, in the MMA. He might have. On paper, it's an incredibly interesting fight. That is not to say it would it would be a banger necessarily in the cage, but on paper it's an incredibly interesting fight. 
some other members of the card, not members, some other people fighting on the card of note. Uh, let's see, Leah McCourt from the UK, I think, I am so, Northern Ireland, which is the UK, I think, somebody's gonna murder me for this, but, uh, coming off, uh, her first loss in quite a while to Sinead Kavanaugh, um, she, uh, she is certainly, yeah, she is certainly near the top of that, uh, the women's featherweight division in Bellator, uh, ranked fifth, right behind Kavanaugh, um, you know, uh, Bellator has the best women's featherweight division in the world, probably. Um, they have seven ranked fighters, plus Chris Cyborg is the champion, which by default makes them the best featherweight women's featherweight division in the world because they have the biggest, to my knowledge, other than maybe Invicta. But I would say that the quality of fighters is probably a little bit better on the Bellator side at this current juncture. Liam McCourt fighting Diana Silva. They'll be on the main card. We've also got Kieran Clark. I hope I'm saying his name right. Undefeated in his pro career. I believe he's 5-0. and Yep, out of, out of Ireland. 5-0. and Been in Bellator his entire career. Fought in the 2018, 2018 IMMAF. The biggest amateur MMA tournament in the world. It's like the world, world championships of amateur MMA. Yeah, world... Mixed Martial Arts Amateur Unified World Championships. Fought in those in 2018 and 2017. Extensive, extensive amateur career where he fought a lot of good fighters. Magomed Magomedov. He, he fought a lot of good fighters and amateurs. And now in now as a professional, he's 5-0. and He's uh, coming up against Rafael Hudson, who's on a couple fights, Skid. Uh, this guy, uh, Hudson, making his Bellator debut. Kieran Clark, likely to be a fan favorite. In the Tree Arena in Dublin, Ireland. Also on the card, who a fighter that piques my interest for whatever reason, Carl Albrechtson. Uh, pretty far down on the card right now. They they have, they have him listed as like the number one, the first fight. That's just on topology, so you never really know. But he's 13-3 out of Sweden. He'll be fighting Carl Moore. Uh, Albrechtson on a four-fight winning streak. What um, is interesting to me, at least, about his career is he has three losses. Um, they are to Yuri Prohaska, the current UFC light heavyweight champion. Phil Davis, the number two ranked fighter in Bellator's light heavyweight division and uh, somebody who hardcore MMA fans obviously know a lot about, Phil Davis. Long, long career as as probably a top 10 light heavyweight in the world. And then Valentin Moldovsky, who was Bellator's heavyweight champion. Not too long ago. Not too long ago. Maybe maybe was he an interim? Yes, never mind. I'm a liar. He was, an int- he was the Bellator interim heavyweight champion until they unified the belt in January of this year. And Albrechtson fought him back in 2016. At open weight, wow. That was all besides the point. He also has a win over Vadim, Nem- over Vadim Nemkov, the current light heavyweight champion, back in, over in Ryzen. Won that fight by split decision. So every anytime I see a guy with a record like that where he's only lost to guys who are at the top of his division or, you know, a different division like heavyweight, he's only lost to guys at the very top. He's beaten some guys that are also at the top. That is always interesting to me. 
Um, you never really know what it is that is preventing them from getting over into that upper echelon of fighters. Uh, they have, Bellator has Albrechtson ranked sixth right now, right above UL Romero. The other weird thing Bellator does is they give, you know they have their sixth ranked light heavyweight who's been in their promotion for a, a meaningful period of time since I'm a liar. There's only a second fight. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a dirty liar. I'm sorry. He's only been in the in the, in Bellator for about a year, so never mind. But he's ranked sixth. They're having him fight somebody. Wait, no. Ugh. He fought in Bellator back in 2019. That he fought at a different in a different organization called Superior Challenge. That he fought back with Bellator. Won a fight. Went back to Superior Challenge. Won a fight. Back to Bellator to win a fight. Now he's still in Bellator. First, first ever back-to-back Bellator fights in his career. What Bellator does a lot of times, which doesn't make any sense to me, is they'll have one of the guys in their top 10, sometimes top 5, fight a guy that's not even ranked, maybe making a debut, or has like had two fights in Bellator, maybe he lost both of them. They'll have a number 4 ranked guy fight that dude. And starch him, obviously. Or, sometimes they don't. That's when you get something like Aaron Jeffrey unranked, knocking out the number one contender in uh, Austin Vanderford on like a week's notice. And then it's like, okay, well, what are your rankings actually worth then? Because you just had an unranked fighter beat the guy who most recently had a title shot before Eblen, of course. So there's there's my rant about Bellator's ranking systems. I have a lot of issues with Bellator, not in their quality of fights or their fighters. I am a fan of a lot of fighters on the Bellator roster. But the way that they run their organization, to me, it doesn't make any sense. That'll be a topic for another day. Now, one thing we have to get to today, because I will not have a chance next week, is Mr. Bo Nickel. Um, I'm recording this on a Tuesday, uh, so obviously I won't be able to get it out in time for the to preview Contender Series tonight. But I also won't be able to get another one posted in I won't be I won't be recording another one until next Tuesday, the night where Bo Nickel fights. So I got to talk about it now. I believe it is this it is the season finale of Dana White's Contender Series. Bo Nickel in his second fight this season on the Contender Series. He is two and zero as a pro. He has he won his first fight in thirty three seconds. By knockout, second fight, rear naked choke, in one minute and two seconds. He was two and zero as an amateur, with similar results. What's there to say about him? You know, it's going to be pretty stupid if I uh, say I'm going to preview this fight and then not talk about him at all, not have anything to say other than what he's doing. Um, everybody's talking about Bo Nickel. I mean, he's one of the hottest names in MMA right now. Uh, the UFC is smart with how they're handling him. I understand. I I agree with the whole thing about why would they act like he wasn't good enough to get signed when obviously he was, and obviously they had a deal. They had a deal mapped out with him before that first contender series fight. They know how good he is. They know that he is likely going to smash everybody and anyone they could find to put on the contender series with him. And he'd probably beat up a fair amount of um, UFC middleweights. I would put Bo as the betting favorite against 
I mean, guys in the top 15, there's guys in the top 15 that I think Bo would probably have his way with. A um, little bit of context, I guess, um, into uh, me and um, my opinion of Bo Nickel. Uh, I have been a wrestler my entire life. I was a college wrestler. I was in the building for... I was in the building when Bo lost in the NCAA Finals his freshman year of college. And then I was in the building for two of his NCAA titles after that, including his crazy um, pin of Miles Martin in the in the NCAA Finals to clinch Penn State winning a national team title. Um, one of my college teammates is Bo's videographer. You see, if you see a lot of um, awesome, really, really high quality uh, highlight videos and. Uh, vlogs. I mean, all of all of the videography stuff that you see coming out of anybody in that resting room um, or that training facility at American Top Team Happy Valley. I think a, a major, vast majority of it is um, John Broughton. He's the man. Does incredible work. Um, I don't know Bo super personally. I've met him before, um, but obviously I know Broughton really well, and he loves Bo. And so I'm also incredibly biased in like I think he's gonna be the man, and I think he he definitely could be. I know how hard he works. You see it. I mean, you see how hard all the guys in that in that wrestling room work. There are so many guys in that facility that are gonna be incredibly incredibly successful if they transition into MMA. Uh, Roman Bravo Young also wrestled at Penn State. Wrestled 133 pounds. He he's done a lot of training over the last two years with uh, Dominic Cruz working on footwork, because both of them have incredible footwork. Roman Bravo's, Bravo Young's feet are so fast, and uh, you can find a lot of their like grappling and um, wrestling, uh, I don't know what you could call it, uh, it's like sessions, like they, they record some of their wrestling exchanges and throw them on Instagram, I think especially on uh, RBY's Instagram, and... They are incredible to watch. I mean, they are flowing like crazy. Uh, you also have Anthony Cassar, who was a heavyweight national champion at Penn State. He beat Gable Stevenson when Gable was a freshman in college. Maybe a sophomore? No, freshman. Wait. Yeah, freshman. Yeah, Cassar beat Gable as a freshman. Only guy to beat him that year. Cassar beat him twice. Um, he's training at the same place as uh, he's training, obviously, in the Penn State resting room as well as ATT Happy Valley. I don't even know if he has a fight yet, but when he does, watch out. He's gonna be. He he's gonna. I mean, have the same same thing. His only issue is he's been injury stricken through his wrestling career. That's kind of what is. That's what's been his Achilles heel of sorts. Um, but yeah, it's gonna be very interesting to see how the how this uh, how this goes for Nickel. As uh, after he wins this fight, I'm guessing wins this fight. I don't want to talk too crazy, but um, after this contender series fight, if he does the same thing he's consistently done before, done before, um, he's gonna have a lot of options. <clears throat> he's obviously gonna sign with UFC, and then we're gonna see how he gets how he gets scheduled, who he comes up against first, because I. If you if you put him against it's going to be similar to the Hamzat situation. You put him against the lower level of guys, he's not going to be out there for more than two minutes. That's just how it's going to work. He's the kind of guy that is so 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 skilled 
especially in wrestling, he's just going to overwhelm a majority of the guys you put out there. The only guys that are going to be able to really slow him down are the are upper, high, high-level guys. You can find a lot of good wrestlers in the middleweight division, but it's not the same. Bo Nickel is a world champion level wrestler. He was a U23 world champion. Um, but right now he would be on a world team if it wasn't for, not would, but it, there's a, a very legitimate good chance that if, it was, if David Taylor didn't exist, he's the 86 kilogram wrestler for Team USA, just won another world championship two days ago. Not two days ago, three days ago, four days ago, something like that. If that man didn't exist, Bo Nickel might still be wrestling, and Bo Nickel could be winning winning world championships and world medals. It just so happens he's the same weight class as a man that not as a man who is beating every other person on this planet at his weight class, and. That is how good Bo is, though. He is he is just one step below that that guy. Not even necessarily below being a world champion. He just isn't David Taylor. And they train together. Let's not forget about that. One, David Taylor is the best in the world. Two, both went to Penn State. Taylor still trains in the Nittany Lion Wrestling Room at, at the Nittany Lion Wrestling Club. Same room that Bo trains. I'm, I'm assuming they're friends. They've known each other for years they've trained together for years so now Bo's fighting rather than wrestling because he'd have to train to beat a guy that he is in the same room with every single day who also is the best in the world so Bo's going to go be the best in the world in MMA and I have no doubt he will all right everybody we're having some trouble avoiding um Somebody yelling in the room next to me, so the audio is getting all weird. So I'm gonna shut it down. I'm gonna shut it down right now. I appreciate anybody listening. And next week, I am going to go over my personal rankings in every division of the U- in MMA, not just the UFC. All organizations will be involved. And yeah, I hope you tune in next time. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you have a great day, a better evening, and I hope to see you next week.